If you have your Bibles, open up with me to Galatians chapter 5 tonight. Come on. Galatians chapter 5. My name is Daniel Harris, and I serve as the college pastor here at Bellevue. And if I haven't had the chance to meet you, I would love to. Tonight, I want to talk to you about a message in our series that I believe is very important and very necessary and very uh, close and dear to my heart because of my testimony that I'm going to share a little bit with you tonight. And uh, if you're taking notes, I hope that you are. You can go ahead and write this down at the top for me. The title is Isolation Versus Intimacy. Isolation Versus Intimacy. The title of our sermon tonight is Isolation Versus Intimacy. Now, the last few weeks, especially last week, we covered busyness versus rest. And I want to even build on last week's message, if I can, and almost add some building blocks to what we talked about last week with rest. But really what I want to talk about is how we ultimately find rest in a busy season is through intimacy with the Lord. Now, how many of you know that the enemy does his best work when he isolates us, right? Scripture describes the enemy as a prowling lion looking for someone to devour. Well, the greatest way he can do that is by isolating you and getting you away from godly community. The enemy's goal at the end of the day is to get you isolated because then he can do some of his best work. He wants to isolate you from godly community. He wants to isolate you from people who love you, and he wants to isolate you from ultimately the Lord. He wants to isolate you away from God, away from time in his word, away from prayer, away from family. His goal is to get you away from the church, to get you away from godly people. So isolation is a big deal. It's hard. We struggle with it as humans. And I know I'm not the only one in the room. I know you have. To share a little bit of my story with you, for me, there was about a seven-year period in my life where I struggled with depression. And my parents, they watch the live stream every Monday night. They see every sermon, and they send me encouragement afterwards. My mom and dad could tell you the time period in my life where I was depressed, where I was isolated. I mean, they could point it out in a heartbeat. Like, if you told them, hey, was your son ever depressed or struggled with isolation? They would be like, yes, it was from this year to this year. I mean, my mom could tell you probably the day she saw me come out of it. It's that, it was that obvious in my life. She could tell you the day I went into it and the day I came out of it. So for me, depression and isolation is something very dear and near to my heart because, one, it's something statistically, guy and girl, we all struggle with. But number two, it's not really talked about that often. It's not really addressed that much. But for me, during those seven years, some of the darkest times in my life came when I was isolated and when I was depressed. And for any of you who in the room have experienced this or are currently experiencing depression or isolation, you know this to be true. Sometimes it doesn't matter what somebody says to you. They can say the exact right thing to you. It's still not going to pull you out of that darkness. It's still not going to help. For me, in high school, in some of my darkest moments, some of my darkest years, there was nothing anybody could have said to me I don't believe to get me out of it. I was stuck. I was stuck in darkness, stuck in sin, stuck in this. I didn't have a relationship with the Lord, and so I was lost. And for me, I asked a lot of questions during that time period that maybe you've asked in your life before. And I don't want to get super deep from the beginning, but I believe it's important to address these things. For me, during that time period, I asked a lot of questions about the value of my life and why I was here. I asked a lot of questions about my purpose and what I was on this planet for. I asked a lot of questions about who I was and who I was supposed to be. Questions that I thought I shouldn't be asking. In fact, questions I was ashamed to tell anybody that I was asking of myself. Because culture says you should know who you are, you should have it figured out, and you should never struggle with that. And so for me during that time period, I, I didn't talk to anybody about it, and I didn't want to talk to anybody about it. I kept myself in a prison. I literally was enslaved in a jail cell that I had put myself in. I can't blame anybody. I can't blame the church. I can't blame my family. I can't blame friends. I can't blame anybody who let me down. It was me 
and my own stubbornness and my own pride and my own ego and my own hurt and pain that put myself in this cell for seven years of my life. And it's why today I'm so motivated to help college students find Christ and find a way through the darkness to be able to live free and not in chains because I know what that darkness is like. And some of you do too. When the enemy can isolate you, he can do a big work on you. Now, here's the key. Here's the answer. Here's the solution. The solution to it, ultimately, is finding a personal relationship with Jesus and then having intimacy with him each day and each week, each month. That is the solution. The way to overcome sin, the way to overcome the darkness, the way to overcome depression, ultimately, is to walk closely with the Lord. I'm not making any statements about medicine or anything like that. I'm just telling you, ultimately, the cure to anything we struggle with is Jesus Christ. Ultimately, it's prayer and it's the word. So for you guys, some of you who are here tonight, you are very isolated. Let's call it what it is. You are very alone. You feel very alone in your thoughts, in your words, in your life. You may be surrounded physically by people all the time, but you still feel alone in your struggle, in your sin, in your strongholds because the enemy convinces us that we're the only ones in it. So tonight, my prayer is for you to walk out those doors not by a clean and polished sermon, not by a very pretty wrapped up bow with illustrations and everything. No, my my prayer for you is to walk out pursuing intimacy with Christ tonight. What I want to get across to you tonight is that if you will simply pursue intimacy with the Lord every morning throughout the day and at night, you will begin to find the hope and the healing that you so desperately want. It can be found. Now, When it comes to our message in Galatians 5 tonight, here's what I want you to understand as Paul writes about the the deeds of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit, right? A text that we're probably familiar with. Statistically, when it comes to being connected to something more, desiring to be known, it's very fascinating about our culture. And in fact, this will be on the screen. It's very fascinating about our culture when it comes to being spiritual because most people in America want to be spiritual, They desire that. In fact, listen to these numbers. In 2017, Pew Research did a poll. Here it is on the screen. In the U.S., 48% of people said they were both religious and spiritual. 27% said they were spiritual but not religious. Now, that's very fascinating, separating being spiritual but not religious, which is so wild because at 20 years old as a college student, if you had asked me, hey, do you have a belief system or do you have a faith of any kind, I would have answered with that right there. I can tell you as a 20-year-old University of Memphis Lost College student, I would have said, man, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. That would have been the words out of my mouth. And what I was communicating as a Lost College student is, hey, I believe there's something more to all this, but I'm not going to be connected to any organization. I'm not going to have a label. Don't put a Christian label on me. I certainly didn't want a pastoral label, but I didn't want a Christian label. I didn't want to be a part of an organization, and I didn't believe the Bible. But I would have said I was spiritual. I would have said to you, hey, I believe there's something more to all this. I'm just not sure what it is. And then 6% said they were religious but not spiritual, which is maybe even more alarming than the one before that. Because to be religious but not spiritual means you have the world and the works and the organization, but you have no God, no spirit, no Jesus. This means 8 out of 10 people in the U.S. want some connection with the spiritual world. Something greater than themselves that would lead to a better life. The problem is, and I love this quote, our culture is trying to be spiritual apart from the Holy Spirit of God. Look at this right here. To be spiritual means to be rightly related to the Spirit of God. How many of you are grateful that we have as believers the Spirit of God living in our bodies? Amen? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So tonight I want to talk to you about keeping in step with the Holy Spirit, having intimacy with the Lord.
Now, before we look at Galatians 5, here's what the Bible says about the Holy Spirit. It says a lot. Ultimately, one of the first verses you'll see on the Holy Spirit comes from John 16, verse 7, from Jesus. He says this, Nevertheless, I am telling you the truth. It is for your benefit that I go away, because if I don't go away, the counselor will not come to you. If I go, I will send him to you. Jesus, as he ascends to heaven, promises us the down payment to send the Holy Spirit to us that God's spirit would live in us and throughout the world. He's promising a helper and a counselor to come. And then Paul speaks on the Holy Spirit and what it looks like to live filled with the spirit in Ephesians chapter five. It says this in verse 15, if you'll look with me. Pay careful attention then to how you walk, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. So don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is, and don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living, but be filled by the Spirit of God. So ultimately, when we, in the New Testament era today, when we repent of our sins, when we believe in Jesus Christ, when we confess that he is our Lord and Savior, it's in that moment, college students, when you believe in Jesus, that you receive God's Spirit living inside you. You receive the Holy Spirit living in your heart. That's what Scripture promises us. Now, we could do an entire 12-week, we could do a 52-week study on the Holy Spirit itself. That's not necessarily tonight. But if you believe in Jesus Christ, you have God's Spirit living inside you. You have the helper, you have the counselor, and that's going to give you a couple of things that we're going to cover tonight. Now, let's look at Galatians chapter 5, and let's read what Paul says about how we can experience intimacy with the Lord and the Holy Spirit of God. Starting in verse 16, Paul says this, I say then, coming off of calling believers to live in the freedom that Christ has set us free, after he just gave an exhortation here in chapter 5 about living in the freedom we're called in, he says this, Walk by the Spirit and you will certainly not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is against the spirit, and the spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other, so that you don't do what you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, idolatry, sorcery, hatreds, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, and anything similar. I am warning you about these things, as I warned you before, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now Paul makes a massive shift that we know because growing up we had all of these as fruits in our kitchen on posters and VBS and all kinds of things. It's the fruit of the Spirit. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is, some of you could say it memorized, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such things. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. And here's verse 25. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. And Lord, we love your word. And Lord, we love that as believers we have the blessing of the Holy Spirit of God living in us, Lord. We have the blessing of Jesus Christ. And Father, right now, I just pray that, Lord, you would move in this room, that you would have every word to say. Lord, we just trust you. We cry out to you. We ask that you would move. Lord, I pray for anybody in here who 
doesn't have a relationship with you, Lord, that they would repent, that they would turn to you tonight. And God, we just give you tonight, we ask, Lord, that you would speak clearly and boldly. And Lord, we ask that your will would be done. Father, we are just so grateful to be here. Lord, we pray that you would bind the enemy in the name of Jesus, by the blood of Jesus, by the word of God, and by the spirit of God from this place. Lord, would you move? And if that's your prayer tonight, would you say amen? Amen. If you're taking notes, here's number one, what I want you to write down. The first thing we need to talk about, number one, the isolating effects of the flesh. The very first thing we're going to talk about tonight is the isolating effects of the flesh. Paul's very clear in his call, in his charge to the Galatians. He's very clear that the Christian life looks different than a fleshly life. That a life led by the Spirit looks very different than a life led by the flesh. That the works of the flesh are obvious, that they are evil, that they are sinful. And ultimately, they're isolating. And so from the very first point, I know this is not fun, but this is something that we have to talk about, especially as college students who are constantly surrounded by temptation. Constantly. Temptation is everywhere. You can't get on social media and not see temptation. You can't step foot on your college campus and not be surrounded by temptation. You are faced with temptation every day, and as am I. Understand this. No matter what that temptation is, it's isolating. The enemy is very crafty. He is not created, but he's very crafty. And the lie that he will tell you when it comes to temptation, he'll tell you first and foremost, before you give in to the temptation, the lie he will often whisper in your ear, and I know you've heard this before, is, hey, everybody else is doing it, so you might as well do it too. Right? Have you ever heard that lie? I know you have. You don't have the answer. I know you have. Hey, everybody else does it too. Everybody else is imperfect. Everybody else is broken. Uh, you might as well go ahead because everybody else is doing it too. What's the big deal? Why not? It's so common. It's so casual. Everybody else is practicing that sin. You might as well give in to a little bit of that too, right? He convinces you that it's not that big of a deal. And then you give in to that temptation, whatever it is, social media, the way people think of us. Paul talks a lot about sexual morality and strife and, and arguments and outbursts of anger. Whatever it is, we give into it because we think it's casual and common. And then coming on the other side of the temptation, right? Here's how crafty it is. I know it's heavy, but watch this. On the front end, he tells you, hey, everybody else is in it. You might as well be in it too. But once you give in to that temptation, the enemy flips his lie on the other side. And what he begins to tell you is, hey, don't talk about that with anybody because you're the only one struggling with it. Hey, that sin that you have, you're the only one experiencing that. Nobody else is struggling with that. Everybody else has it together. How can you be a Christian and be struggling with that? How can you be a leader and be struggling with that? How could you have that thought? How could you do that? You're the only one who's doing it. Have you been there? You don't have to raise your hand. You don't have to nod your head because I know we don't want to talk about that. But ultimately, his lie on the front end and his lie on the back end, he flips them. And then on the back end of that temptation, you begin to feel like you're the only one. And when you feel like that, you isolate yourself. I isolate myself. We pull away from godly community. We pull away from those who love us. We pull away from the church. We pull away from life groups. We pull away from the places that are going to encourage and convict us to get out of that sin. Like we don't want to be in those environments. And ultimately, we find ourselves alone. Following the works of the flesh will have you alone and hurt and shameful. Following the Spirit of God, you will find freedom and chains will be broken. I promise you that. Chains will be broken. You can find freedom if you are willing to trust the Lord with that temptation. 
Don't isolate yourself in it. Now, I don't know what it is for you, but I know what it is for me. And one of the things that I want to do tonight is I want to give you a moment to pray. Because I believe in these services that as we come together, it's important that we don't just preach, that we don't just do challenges, which the basketball shooter shot challenge is coming, and it's going to be fantastic. I hope somebody walks away with a gift card tonight. Some of you have a broke jump shot, but you might make the shot, which would be incredible. But we're going to give you a chance. But, man, I believe one of the most important things we can do is pray. So right now, let's pause, let's slow down, and let's pray. So right where you are, you don't have to put yourself away, but I just want you to bow your head right where you are. And in this place where we are, let's take a moment and let's pray. And I want to give you some guided prayer. Jesus says, Matthew chapter 7, Ask and it will be given, seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened to you. Some of you in the room have been working so hard to make a career for yourself. Some of you have been working so hard to build up a life that you can be proud of. But ultimately, that's wearing you down because you're not working to glorify the Lord. That's something right now you can give over to the Lord. You can say, Lord, I don't want to live a life that's about me. I don't want to live a life where I'm building my name, my platform. I don't want to live a life where money is the driving force behind my decisions. That's not a life I'm going to be happy in or joyful in. And just pray. Some of you have something you need to repent of and turn from and lay at the feet of Jesus and trust him with it. Would you do that now? Some of you in the room just need to enjoy the stillness in the moment. A break from the classes, a break from work. No piano playing, no music. Some of you just need to enjoy a moment at the Lord's feet. Ask the Lord to encourage you right now. Tell the Lord, thank you for what he's done for you today. If God did something for you today, and I believe he did, tell him thank you for it. The breath in your lungs. The car you drove here in. Whatever you have tonight, I want to give you a moment to lay it at Jesus' feet. He loves you. He loves you so much that he sent his son down to die on the cross for your sins. All that stuff Paul talked about. All the works of your flesh. Jesus Christ paid the penalty. He did what you couldn't do about it. He paid the price of that sin. And you don't have to be in chains. You don't have to be a slave. You can be free. Heavenly Father, we love you. And Lord, right now, we just take a moment to pause.
We take a moment to pause from the busyness, from the chaos, Lord, just to lay at your feet all of our worries, all of our fears, all of our sin, Lord, just to repent of it and just to lay it down. Father, I know that some in this room have been so isolated and so alone, and Lord, I pray right now that they would find, even in this moment, just intimacy with you. Lord, I pray that they would find comfort. I pray they would find strength. I pray, Lord, they would find peace. Father, we love you. And that's your prayer tonight. Would you say amen? Amen. Doesn't it feel good to stop for a moment and just pause? Now, I, don't, I, can't, I can't control for you whatever you did in that moment. If your mind's a hundred different places, if you're thinking about school tomorrow, if you're thinking about work tomorrow, I can't get your mind off of it for you. But I want you to understand that the way to overcoming the works of the flesh is first and foremost stopping and pausing and being with the Lord. Sitting at his feet in prayer, sitting at his feet, worshiping him. But for you, it's going to come down to, are you willing to prioritize a time to sit at his feet every day? and to talk with him, and to be filled up by him. Or the enemy is going to continue to get you alone and get you away from people who can encourage you and love you. The effects of following the flesh are isolating. That's not what the Spirit of God has for you. Now, number two, here's what I want to focus on the most tonight. Not only are the effects of the flesh isolating, but ultimately number two is this, the intimacy of the Spirit of God. Not only, number one, that the effects of the flesh are isolating, but number two, there is intimacy found in the Spirit of God. Now, if you don't know the Lord, your first step is to give your life to the Lord tonight. But if you do know the Lord, Sam, you have the Holy Spirit living in your body, which means that's the ultimate place of intimacy you can find. I love Hannah. Hannah is an incredible wife, but ultimately, I'm no good to Hannah if I'm not having intimacy with the Lord. Understand this, like as good and as cool and as skilled and as talented as you are, you may have all the things going for you in the world. If you don't have intimacy with the Lord, you're not good to anybody. You're just not. You have to have intimacy with the Lord. Now, I've been doing a lot of reading about this, and one of the things that I find so fascinating about the Holy Spirit of God is what the Bible says about the Spirit. Now, I want to show you this, and I think it's really cool. Uh, and some of this will be on the screen. Now, in Hebrew, the word for wind is ruah, and I think the ch is silent here. Ruach is the Hebrew word for wind. Now, what's very fascinating when you study this is that it became the word for breath as well, because your breath is your own personal wind. And then it also became the same word for spirit, right? So in Hebrew, when you look at the Old Testament, wind, breath, and spirit are all translated from the same Hebrew word, ruach. And Old Testament authors played with this imagery all throughout scripture, which is very fascinating. Now, here's why this is cool. Back in the Old Testament, when they would see if someone was alive or dead, they would not necessarily check the pulse, right? Like they didn't always, just a newsflash, they didn't always have the machines to find out if people were alive like we do now. What they would do is they would come up to somebody, and you've probably seen this in movies and TV shows, they would put their hand right underneath their nose. Then they would feel if there was any breath. And ultimately, if they didn't feel any breath coming out, they knew that person was dead. So watch this, the imagery is very cool. If there was no breath, there was no life. If there was no personal wind, there was no life. And so in the Old Testament, wind and breath was very associated closely with having life. 
Now, what's cool about the Old Testament is the Holy Spirit of God. So the Spirit comes from that same word. So Spirit often represented life, right? Wind, breath, and life, the Spirit in us. Now, watch this. It's very cool as you trace this through Scripture, right? Watch this. In Genesis 1-2, it says this. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness covered the surface of the watery depths and the spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. There's that imagery of the Holy Spirit of God being like the wind, right? Hovering over the waters. Here's what's very cool. Now that same word for hovering is translated in Deuteronomy 32, 11, where it compares God caring for his people as an eagle hovering over her young. Now get this picture. I don't want you to miss this. In creation, the Holy Spirit of God is described as hovering over the waters, right? In Deuteronomy 32, verse 11, here's what it says using that same word for hovering. It says this, God watches over his nest like an eagle and hovers over his young. He spreads his wings, catches him, and carries him on his feathers. Right? There's a really cool connection here if you watch this. So the Holy Spirit of God is hovering over the water, and that same word, faith for hovering, is used to describe God hovering over his people the way an eagle would hover over his young ones. What's this describing? What's this pointing? What's the message getting across in the Old Testament? Watch. The message from the second verse in the Bible, from the very first verse, is that the Holy Spirit of God is intimate with creation. The Holy Spirit of God is intimate with his creation. We do not have a God that is disconnected from his creation. You do not have a creator who is disconnected from his creation. You have a God who is connected to you, who cares for you, who sees for you. And that's happened all the way through scripture. So stay with me here. Keep tracking this now. The same word here for breath and wind and spirit being full of life, right? Someone is alive when they have their own personal wind. God is intimate. The Holy Spirit is intimate, hovering over the waters. Now, when it came time to make men. When it came time for humanity, do you remember what it said in Genesis chapter two? I think this is so cool. You may walk out and be like, you know what? That was really lame. I don't get it. But for me, I loved it. And if you do walk out like that, we still have a gift for you if you're a first time guest. Genesis chapter two, verse seven says this, watch. The Lord God formed the man out of the dust from the ground and breathed the breath of life into his nostrils and man became a living being. Do you hear how intimate that is? Can we put that verse back on the screen? Do you hear how intimate that is? That's Genesis chapter two, verse seven. Form the man out of dust and breathe the breath of life into his nostrils. That's intimate. God did not breathe into the breath of the cows. (laughs) He did not do that with the elephants. He did not do that with the bears or the lions or the tigers. (laughs) He did that with man, with humanity. So man was made from two things, the dust and the wind of God, the breath of God, the word of God, the spirit of God, that idea of breath, breathe the life into man. Now that's very fascinating because I'm gonna give you one more in Genesis three, right? Here's what's fascinating. What happens at the beginning of Genesis three? Something massive happens. Humans what? Thank you, Deco. Some of us, some of you might not be to Genesis chapter three yet. You're still in one. Humanity commits what? Sin. We sin. We rebel against God, right? That's Genesis chapter three. We rebel against God. Look what it says after that sin. Something changes. Watch this. It says in Genesis three, verse 19, 
one of the punishments of sin. You will eat bread by the sweat of your brow until you, until you return to the ground. Look at this. Since you were taken from it, for you are dust and you will return to dust. Abigail, that's wild. We've been tracing the line here. I want to bring it to life for you. Man was made from what? Dust and the breath, the wind of God. Sin happens. Man chooses to break the bond that we have with God because of sin. And right here, there's dust. But what's missing? The breath of God. The wind of God. See, when we chose to sin in the garden, humanity died spiritually. We died spiritually. Their bodies were alive, but now for Adam and Eve, what was missing for them was the bond and the fellowship with God because of their sin. That intimacy was broken. See, here's the big idea in case you're missing it. Sin will always ruin intimacy with God. It happened in the garden and it's happening in your life today. Now, thankfully, in the New Testament era, we can come to God right in our prayer closet and repent of our sin and be renewed by the Lord. But ultimately, that was broken in the garden. And that's a massive deal throughout the Old Testament that we don't have time to get into tonight. Now, what I love is because of our sin, though, God had a plan. And this idea of the Holy Spirit continues to go when it talks about Jesus. Isaiah 11, if you want to write this reference down, says this. Isaiah 11, verse 2. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him a spirit of wisdom and understanding, a spirit of counsel and strength, a spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. The Holy Spirit would be on Jesus as he would come in power. It says the Holy Spirit would rest on him. That's an incredible, credible cross-reference. And then, not only that, but the Holy Spirit is coming to bring life-giving power. Remember, if there's no breath, there's no life. The wind of God was broken. There was a break in our fellowship with God. And because of that, we were in sin. But look at this. It says, Isaiah 32, verse 15. Until the spirit from on high is poured out on us, then the desert will become an orchard and the orchard will seem like a forest. Now, this is incredible. All through the Old Testament, there's a promise coming, right? There's a promise that as the Messiah comes to this earth and Kaylee pays the price of the penalty of our sin, and when we come to Jesus in faith, his blood, his sacrifice gives us a renewal, a restoration, a second chance. We literally become a new creation. As Alden walked out those doors, he told Goose, he said, I feel new. He doesn't just feel new because of Jesus Christ and him giving his life to the Lord last week. He is new. How many of you know because of Christ you can be a new creation? Amen? Part of that creation is when you give your life to Jesus, suddenly you who were dead is now made alive in Christ. So go back to that imagery of the spirit being like the wind and the breath. When somebody was dead, they would check for the breath and they wouldn't feel that it wasn't there. You at one point before you gave your life to Jesus did not have the life of God living in you. You were just fleshly. You were just living for the flesh. But the moment you give your life to Jesus, Packard, that, that life is breathed into you. The Holy Spirit begins to live in you. And now the wind, the spirit of God and the presence of God dwells inside your body, which is your life. That's why, college students, if we don't spend time with God, there is no life. Because he is your life, the source of your life, the sustainer of your life. There quite literally is no life if you're not living for God. It's a waste. So when you trust in Jesus, you are filled with the Holy Spirit of God, which gives you life. Now, I'm not done tracing this line. I have a few more for you. In Ezekiel 
We sing this song, uh, turn graves into gardens, right? Graves into gardens, new life, skeletons having flesh. Where does that come from? It comes from Ezekiel, and it comes from the Holy Spirit of God coming to give life. That where there was corpses, where there was death, now because of the Holy Spirit, there is life. Why? Because that breath is breathed back into us. Look at this. I love this. Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 27 says this, I will place my spirit within you and cause you to follow my statutes and carefully observe my ordinances. But not only that, Ezekiel 37 verses 13 to 14 say this, you will know that I am the Lord, my people, when I open your graves and bring you up from them. I will put my spirit in you and you will live. I will put my spirit in you and you will live. You didn't have breath. You didn't have your own personal wind. When you trust God, I am putting life in you. I am putting the spirit of God in you. You have breath. You have wind. And you know what? When you're real close to somebody, they can feel you breathing. They should. When I'm close to Hannah, when I'm giving her a hug, she feels my breath. And sometimes it's bad breath, but she feels I'm alive. She feels my breath. You know why? Because when you have breath in you, it reaches other people. Some of you, if you really have the breath of God in you, if you really have the spirit of God in you, is it reaching anybody else? Does anybody else sense breath in you? Do they sense life in you? Do they sense joy in you? Do they sense love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, and faithfulness? I got out of order. Do they sense that from you? If you have that breath living inside of you, if you are breathing the word of God, if you have the spirit living inside you, that's what scripture says. I will put the spirit in you and you will live. What's sad is some of us as believers do have the spirit of God in us and we are alive, but we're still living like we're dead. Some of us have been made new. We have been made alive. We have the Holy Spirit of God, but we're still living like we're lost. We're still living like we're dead. How does that mean? What do you mean by that, Daniel? How am I living like I'm dead? By pursuing the works of the flesh, by living for the world. Let me keep going because I'm not done tracing this. It says this, I will put my spirit in you. You will live. Then you will know that I am the Lord. I have spoken and I will do it. This is a declaration of the Lord. Now jump to the New Testament. John chapter 7, Jesus is very clear. Jesus says this in John 7. Verse 37, on the last and most important day of the festival, Jesus stood up and cried out. This is the Feast of Tabernacles. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. I've shared on this moment many times here at The View. The one who believes in me, as the scriptures has said, will have streams of living water flow deep within him. Does that mean you're walking around just spitting water everywhere like a Dasani bottle? No, That's not what Jesus is talking about. You are not a fire hydrant just spouting water out. That that does not make sense. What Jesus is communicating is this right here, verse 39. He said this about the Spirit. That living water, life, is the Spirit of God in your body. Those who believed in Jesus were going to receive the Spirit, for the Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. In other words, Jesus had not done his work of dying on the cross, raising from the dead, and ascending to heaven quite yet. It was after that moment the Holy Spirit was given to live inside our bodies. If you want to go deeper on this, I have so many resources I could recommend to you and maybe even purchase for you. I would love for you to go deeper in this, but just know the Spirit of God is what is giving you life if you are a believer. And if you don't have the Spirit of God, you don't have life. And if you have the Spirit of God and you're still living for the world, you are trying to live as a dead man when you have been made new. Ultimately, I say all that so that you understand If you have any life in you, it's going to come from the Spirit of God. Not money, not clothes, not people, not success, 
not the church, not water in this trough, not this camera or this speaker, not what people think of you or don't think of you. If you have any life in you, it's going to come from the Holy Spirit of God. And what that teaches us from Genesis 1-1 all the way to Jesus' words in John 7, all the way to Acts chapter 1, is that God has been intimate with his creation from day one. The whole reason you have the Spirit of God living in you is so that you can experience intimacy with the Spirit of God. Do you know why you're not experiencing the intimacy with the Spirit of God? Believers, I'm talking to believers. You know why you're not experiencing any, any intimacy with God? You know why? One of my favorite times of the week, I've talked about it before, is date night. Man, I love going on date nights, and I promise you, me and Hannah do not just go to Huey's. We mix it up. Although Huey's is never, never a bad date night spot. Amen? Amen. Amen. She said amen. I'm doing something right. We go and we eat. And you know what's so tempting to do at date night? Ooh, it's tempting when you go eat with anybody. Pull out this. You ever do that? Go sit down with somebody you love and pull out your phone? Man, go sit down at a restaurant and look around, and I guarantee you, you will see, one time this broke my heart, you will see grandfathers and grandmothers sitting down with their grandchildren, and their grandchildren have an iPad, not talking to their grandparents at all. Go sit down at Panera Bread. Go sit down at Nukes. Go sit down at Red Robin. Go sit down wherever you want and look around, and you will see people on their phone. I've been guilty of it, and you've been guilty of it, too. And do you know why that hurts intimacy with the people in your life? You know why that will hurt intimacy with my best friend? You know why that will hurt intimacy with your best friend? Do you know why? Because you become unaware that they are even there. Woo! You become unaware that their presence is right in front of you. And all of a sudden, you're not thinking about them and you don't care at all about them. Some of you are not experiencing intimacy with God and it's because you're not aware that he's there. You're not aware that he's there because everything else in the world has your attention. Everything else except the spirit of God. You are simply unaware that the spirit is dwelling in you, that God wants to have a conversation with you. You're unaware of his presence. And that's why you and I struggle to have intimacy with the Lord. When you sit down with your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your mom, your dad, your best friend, your cousin, your third cousin from Belmont, Mississippi, when you sit down with somebody in your life and you don't connect and you don't talk and you don't see them, You walk away not feeling like you had any real intimacy with them, and it's the exact same with the relationship with the Lord. Some of you are simply unaware that God's there. He's there. He's speaking. He's talking to you. He's talking to you through the word. He's talking to you through people in your life. He's talking to you. Are you listening? Are you talking back? (laughs) Now, I wish I could do a whole series on this. But I want to give you two practical things before I send you home. I want to tell you two things that when you truly do open up your Bible, turn on worship music, when you sit down at the feet of Jesus, when you talk to the Lord, when you meditate on Scripture, when you meditate on the Holy Spirit, when you have a a real encounter with the Lord, there's two things that will always happen. Always. The Spirit will lead you and the Spirit will empower you. Scripturally, every time you lean into the Lord, every time you draw near to the Lord, you will receive guidance and you will receive power. And so let me give you the first one. A is this, the Holy Spirit leads you. When you begin to listen to the Lord, lean into God, lean into the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit begins to lead you. Daniel, where do you get this from? I get it straight from Scripture. A, the Holy Spirit leads you. 
Romans chapter 8, verse 9 says this. The reverence will be on the screen. You, however, are not in the flesh, Paul says, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. And then you jump to Romans 8, verse 14. It says this. For all those led by God's Spirit are God's sons. All those who are led by God's Spirit. Ultimately, in your life, college students, if you are looking for leadership, if you are looking to be guided, the Holy Spirit of God is offering that to you in your life. Because you're in a season where you're trying to figure out where you're going to live, who you're going to marry, what kind of job you're going to have, how much money you think you need to make, how you're going to please your in-laws, how you're going to please your family, how you're going to be a good friend. All these questions that you need leadership on, the Holy Spirit is offering you leadership. In fact, this whole idea of leading and power comes straight from Scripture. Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, when we find Jesus, we find Jesus being led by the Spirit of God. It says this in verse, chapter 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Look at this. The Spirit of God was leading Jesus into the wilderness. And look where he led him. He led him straight into a temptation. <laughs> Colossians, every trial brings a temptation. Every temptation brings a trial. And you have to be aware of that in your life. That if you're going to follow God, that is literally meaning following God possibly into trials, into battles, into, into storms. And some of you say, that's not a loving God. Why would he do that? Daniel, that's not scriptural. I look at the Israelites. As God was quite literally leading them, they, he led them to a place where they could do nothing. God led them to a place where it was far more, Jill, than they could handle. They were not in that situation thinking, oh, well, God has prepared me for this. So I guess I just need to part the water. No, when they got to the Red Sea and Pihaharoth is on one corner, forts and garrisons are on the other, and the Egyptians are trailing them. When they get to that point at the sea, there's nothing they can do, literally, physically, mentally, emotionally. They are stuck. God led them to a dead end, human-wise. But how many of you know when you're following the Spirit of God, there is no dead end? God gave them more than they can handle so that they would rely on him for what he could handle. Some of you, the battle is so hard because you're relying on what you can handle and it's not much at all. I can't hold up a pencil when life hits. <laughs> but God can. And what does God do? Moses tells him, stand firm and watch what the Lord will accomplish for you today. Be quiet. Moses was like, shut up. <laughs> Basically, he was like, calm down. Be quiet and watch what God will do. God parts the sea. They pass on dry land. He closes it on their enemies and he provides a way. Leading. God will lead you. The question is, are you willing to be led by him? And then power, what I love coming out of the desert, right? Jesus goes into the wilderness. He's tempted by the devil. He comes out of it. He was led into it. But look what happens coming out of it. This is Luke chapter 4, verse 14. It says, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread throughout the entire vicinity. So Jesus was led by the Spirit, and then Jesus came out of it with the power of the Spirit. And you and I can have the exact same. I'll give you these very quickly. How do you know you're actually being led by the Spirit of God? Right? Daniel is really cute to say, all right, just be led by the Lord, be led by the Spirit. How do you know? Well, this won't be on the screen, but I want to give it to you. The first one is this. His guidance is always consistent with Scripture. If you really want to know if you're being led by the Holy Spirit of God, His guidance is always aligned with Scripture. There is nothing the Holy Spirit is going to tell you to do 
that does not align with God's word. Never. God's voice in your heart, God is not going to tell you to do something that does not align with Scripture. So I hear some people come and tell me. I hear some college students come and tell me, man, you know, I know with my life, God has really told me that I need to make at least $300,000 a year. And uh, I know that I know God's told me that, man. I know I need to have it, so I'm just going to work until I get 300K at least, and really 500K would be good. Is that a scriptural statement? That's hard to align with scripture, right? Because when you look at scripture, scripture calls us to literally suffer. You might follow Christ and never have 300K. I don't know. You might have a million. I don't know. But ultimately, God's voice through the Holy Spirit is never going to contradict scripture. If any voice tells you to harm yourself, that is never, ever coming from the Holy Spirit of God. If a voice tells you that you have no value and you are not loved, that is not coming from the Holy Spirit of God. Why? Because John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world. Guess what? You're in the world. (laughs) You make up the world. You're on planet Earth. You are a part of this. God so loved the world that he gave up his only son, Jesus, that whoever believes in him will never die but have eternal life, which is that Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us, the eternal life we experience in heaven. So understand. If you're following the Spirit of God, his voice will never contradict Scripture. Not only that, I'll give you this one, though. His counsel is contrary to the flesh. His counsel is contrary to the flesh. If we learn anything from Galatians chapter 5, it's that Paul says very clearly, the flesh and the spirit don't agree. (laughs) So understand how you want to handle something in your flesh will be very different than how the Holy Spirit leads you to handle it. His counsel is contrary to the flesh. But not only that, I have one more to give you. And B, the Holy Spirit empowers you. So not only A, the Holy Spirit leads you. But B, the Holy Spirit empowers you. When you lean into the Lord, when you trust the Lord, when you listen to the Lord, when you trust in the Lord with all your heart and not lean on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your path. When you lean into him, you receive power. Jesus says in John 14, verse 26, but the counselor, the Holy Spirit, with whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have told you. There is great intimacy and peace and joy that's found when you are living in God's presence, when you're leaning into the Holy Spirit of God. And there is leadership and there is power to be had in your life. And it's offered to you. It's not far from you. It's offered to you if you will accept what God has for you. If you will talk to him and listen to him. You'll find intimacy. And when you find intimacy with the Lord, you will find intimacy in all the rest of your life as well. But the starting point is the Lord. So, college my charge to you is this. As you head into the week If you want intimacy with Christ, what are you willing to do about it? If anything, are you willing to do something about being intimate with the Lord again because he loves you?